Before we ever moved to Frederick to start this church, uh, my wife and I, we had a dream and a vision, but we didn't have a name. Uh, We actually started a little bit over a year ago as the Frederick Project because we struggled to figure out, okay, what do we name a church? In fact, about a year ago, as we were going into this journey, the hardest thing for us to do was, was figure out how to name a church. And I'm not even kidding when I say it was easier for us to name our kid than it was for us to name this church. We didn't know where to begin. How do you name a church? Like, where, where, is there a book that you go through and you just like kind of pick one out? Is it like 100 top Christian church names of 1999? You kind of like skim through that. We didn't really know where to begin. And so I started to reach out to some of my friends. The first guy I asked uh, actually told me, hey, write down a bunch of the names of the churches that are kind of in your area or in your network, and, and maybe that will help spark some ideas. And so we started to rattle off the names of the churches that we're connected to. And we started with Revolution, which is a church in Annapolis. Restore Community, which is a church in in Loudoun County. Renaissance, which is up in Harlem. Redemption, which is up in Philly. Redeemer, which is up in Philly. Renew, which is in Chicago. And before you know it, we started listing all these churches, and every single one of them had a common theme. They all started with R-E. And so like, well, I guess we have to start a church and name it something with an R-E, because that's what everybody else is doing. And so for a while, we jokingly called ourselves Renegade <laughs> um, until people got really uncomfortable about that. And we're like, no, that's just a joke. We're not actually doing that. But, we, but through that, we learned, hey, we don't really want to, to have a church name that starts as an RE, just like everybody else that's around us. Another friend encouraged us to look at pop culture. He said, hey, figure out a word or a phrase or something that's really popular right now that gains a ton of meaning. Uh, but honestly, I didn't want to name us hashtag Bay Church. So uh, social media wasn't our thing. Honestly, too, I'm not really cool, so I don't know what people say on social media. I don't know what it means, so we definitely weren't going to go that route. Another friend actually sent me a website that's called Church Name Generator. And here were the suggestions that it gave us. Maximum Outreach Tabernacle. Next Level Destiny Church. International Frederick Church. going through them, we realized that it was most likely some sarcastic person who made a website that church planners actually try to use to name their church. Eventually, I realized that my friends give me terrible advice, and I decided the best thing to do was actually to listen to Frederick. At the time, my wife and I, we actually lived in Annapolis, and we decided instead of showing up in this city and trying to tell Frederick how to fit into our identity, we decided to spend some time in the city and figure out, okay, how do we fit into this place? We wanted to embrace the city's characteristics and pick a name that fit us just as much as it fit the city. And so one afternoon, I was kind of completely tapped out. I had a whiteboard full of names and things that I just thought were terrible. And so I decided to drive out to Frederick and just drive around and try to figure out what do we name this church. And as I drove around the city, there were two major things that stood out. The first was community, and the second was creativity. Frederick is a city with a strong sense of community, which we want to embrace. We love the fact that people here in Frederick own this city. If other people say, hey, it's a DC suburb, people push back and say, no, this is Frederick. We don't mind being lumped into them, but we really don't like it. And Frederick has a strong sense of creativity. You see it in the restaurants, the parks, the theaters, the creative art space downtown. And that's when, as I drove around, I realized that the best word for the church we wanted to start, the best name, was collective. My wife and I, my wife is a painter, and my wife and I were actually in an artist guild in Annapolis, and we did this project that was called an art collective, where each person did a different medium, but we created one piece of art together. And I remember thinking that that was the perfect name to name a church, collective. 
And a collective is a group of people that come together to become one. We don't all look the same, think the same, sound the same, but together we're one. We're one church. And one of the core truths about collective is that this is a church full of broken people. But even in our brokenness, and even in our imperfection, and even in our mess, with the help of Jesus, we can become whole or one. We can become a collective. Today, we're closing out the first series ever at Collective Church. Our first series ever called God for the Rest of Us. Today is the last Sunday in that series. And if you missed any of the last few weeks, I would encourage you to go online, go to our website, and you can see all the sermons that kind of led up to, to this one. We also have podcasts, Google Play, all that stuff. And we'd love for you to, to, to check those out and, and kind of hear what the last five weeks have looked like in this God for the Rest of Us series. And the reason why I share the story about our name is because we're, today we're talking about how God is for the broken. And that's truly who Collective is. That's where our name comes from. That's what we wanted to be when we started this church. We're a group of broken people that come together as one. And today we're going to read a story about how Jesus responds to brokenness that he experiences. We're going to be in Luke 7, so if you have a Bible or a smartphone, go ahead and pull that out, or it'll be up on the screen so you can follow along. And this story is this time when brokenness happens, and Jesus ends up being a spectator to this brokenness, and we get to see how he responds in that moment. And so we're going to be in Luke 7. This is what Luke writes. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crown went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. Let's pause there for a second. What we learn in the first two verses is the fact that it's a funeral. But it's not just a funeral, it's a funeral for a child, and it's the child of a widow. And so not only is this mom grieving the loss of her child, the reality is there's this fear that she has that now that her only son has passed away, that who is going to take care of her? She has this fear of wondering, what am I going to do with my life knowing that my husband is gone and now my only son is gone as well? What's also interesting about the first two verses is that we see that there's a large crowd. And this makes sense because the city is mourning the loss of a child. Not just a child, a child of a woman who's already lost her husband. The city recognizes this brokenness and they rally together for this funeral. The first thing that this story teaches us is that sometimes life is hard. I know this is really deep. It's so deep we made a slide for it. Sometimes life is hard. This was a reality in the time before Jesus. This was a reality when Jesus was alive. And this is a reality now. And life is hard because brokenness is real. And sometimes the brokenness in our life comes from decisions that we have made. It's a choice that we made. We put ourselves in that position. Week one, we talked about the prodigal son. He took all of his dad's money and he ran away and he, he squandered it on wild living. That was his choice. And sometimes our brokenness comes from choices that we make. But a lot of times the brokenness that we experience isn't our fault. In this story, when the woman's son dies, we can safely assume that this isn't the result of something that she has done, but it still happened because life is hard and brokenness is real. 
And the reason why brokenness is real, and we learn this in Scripture, and we learn this through Jesus, is because sin is real. We were not an accident. As people, we were not an accident. We were created by a God who loves us, and we were made in his image. We were made to walk in alignment with his teaching. John 10.10, Jesus says, I came to give you life, and life better than anyone you could ever imagine, and that's how God created us. But in order to have that life, we have to obey his teaching. We have to walk in alignment with him. The reality is we reject it. We reject it and we make decisions that we think are better for ourselves. Sometimes we make decisions that we think are better for other people. But the result is brokenness. We're not the first people to do it. This all started in the beginning with Adam and Eve. When they chose to disobey God, when they chose to sin, that's when brokenness entered the world. Before they ever made that decision, brokenness didn't exist. And this wasn't what God intended for Adam and Eve. It wasn't like God was like, I'm going to put you in this position and I want you to sin because I want brokenness to be here. That wasn't what God wanted. But the reality is they sinned. And because of that, there's brokenness. Like I said, sometimes the brokenness that we experience is because of our own decisions. And sometimes it's because of sins of other people. Sometimes it's just collateral damage, directly or indirectly. Sin, is, sin and brokenness does not come as a punishment from God. Let me say that again. Brokenness is not a punishment from God. I know there are a lot of you here today that have something going on in your life and you feel broken and you wonder, why is God doing this to me? Sin is not a punishment, or brokenness is not a punishment from God. But because of sin, brokenness exists. This is why the woman's son died. Not because of her sin, not because of his own sin, not because God wanted it to happen, but simply because brokenness is real. And the question is, how does God respond to that? How does he respond to this scenario? And this is what Luke says in Luke 7, verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Jesus saw her. How, how beautiful is this idea, right? Here she is grieving at the loss of her child, grieving at what she has no idea what her future is going to hold, and Jesus sees her. Funerals happen all the time. Tragedy happens all the time. Jesus experienced those things. Brokenness happens all the time. This wasn't the first funeral Jesus would ever experience, and it certainly wouldn't be the last, but his heart went out to her. The second thing we learn from this story is that Jesus hurts when we experience brokenness. I'm going to read Luke 7, 13 again in a different translation of the Bible. The original uh, New Testament was actually written in Greek. And in Luke 7, uh, verse 13, in the ESV, which is the English Standard Version, it actually kind of sums it up a little bit better than the version I just read to you. And this is what it says, Luke 7, 13, in the ESV. It says, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. That word compassion comes from this Greek word called splagna. What that means, it's not, I feel bad for them. It's not, at a distance, I like, kind of feel a little bit of sorrow. It's not like this, oh, like, everything will be okay. 
Splagna actually means it's this remorse that you feel in your gut. It's this deep down compassion that you have. And that's the compassion that Jesus has, the type of compassion that wrecks you. It's the type of compassion when you can't sleep because of someone else's pain. It's the type of compassion when you can't eat because the brokenness that you're going through or someone else is going through makes you lose your appetite. It's the brokenness that when you're in the hospital and you're in the waiting room and your whole body feels out of sorts and you feel disoriented because the compassion you feel for them is so strong. That's splagna. And this word is key to understanding God's pain. Philip Yancey wrote in a book called Where is God When It Hurts? And this book tries to answer that question, where is God when I have brokenness? Where is God when it hurts? And he writes, if God is all-powerful and full of compassion, why doesn't he do something about my pain? Yancey says part of the answer is in the shortest verse of the Bible. It's in a story in John 11. Jesus goes to see his friend Lazarus, but before he gets there, Lazarus dies. And when Jesus shows up, the funeral has already happened. Lazarus has already been buried. And Lazarus' sister actually confronts Jesus and says, hey, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. And so Jesus says, take me to the tomb. And when he got there, John writes in John eleven thirty five. 35, this is what it says. It says, Jesus wept. Philip Yancey makes this point. Often when we were going through a hard time, we're like the sister. We look at God and say, where were you? If you were here, this wouldn't have happened. As if God is the thing that's hurting us, as if God created that pain. But the true answer to where God is when we're broken and in our hurt is that he's hurting with us. Jesus wept. And this gives God a face that's streaked with tears. And and Jesus wept. And then what Jesus does is he actually goes and he raises Lazarus from the dead, which he knew he was going to do the whole time. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And he does. And it's a miracle. But why does Jesus weep if he knows he's just going to raise Lazarus from the dead? And the reason why is because Jesus feels compassion. Because he sees the brokenness that his his friends are experiencing. He feels that deep down compassion, that splagna. And what John, that story in John 11 represents is that even though Jesus can make all things right, he still hurts with us. And when we experience brokenness, whether it's something we cause or something caused by another person, Jesus feels compassion. His, his guts are ripped out. And that's exactly how Jesus feels when he sees your pain, when he sees your brokenness. The story continues. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying on him, or carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread through Judea and the surrounding country. Now, a lot of times when you read stories about Jesus performing miracles, a lot of times he actually says that the miracle is in response to faith. He'll say, because of your faith, you've been healed. He'll say, because of your faith, you've been forgiven, or because of your faith, you've been saved. But in this story, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that it was the mom's faith that got Jesus to raise him from the dead. 
And the reason why is because it doesn't have to do with her faith. It has to do with his compassion. And the third thing that we learn from this story is that the power of Jesus can overcome the pain of our circumstances. And we know that this is true, not just because he broke up the funeral of the young boy or broke up the the burial of Lazarus, but because Jesus later on went to break up his own funeral. Jesus was physically and emotionally and spiritually broken before being crucified on a cross. Then three days later, he rose from the grave to conquer death. Jesus rose from the grave to conquer brokenness. And he did that so that we can have hope, so that we can have faith. And ultimately, so that we get a eternal life with God after we leave this broken, messed up world. Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. John, who writes this, is writing about eternity with God. He's saying the brokenness that you experience today, the pain that you experience today, the tears that you are shedding today won't be here when you're in with God for, for eternity. Two weeks ago, I actually asked our launch team to share with me about their brokenness. Now, the launch team, it's the group of people that make this happen on Sunday. These are, these are people that called collected their church home before we ever had a church service, which, again, we think they're crazy for doing that. We could have been insane, but they're like, we're going to be a part of this. And so that's our launch team. They're the people who serve in the back. They're the people who serve in the lobby and the people who serve in kids. And so two weeks ago, I actually asked them to share a little bit about their brokenness. And to be honest, I only expected a few people to respond. You know, I put it out there to about 50 people, and I thought maybe we'd get four or five, because I wanted to share with you all some of the brokenness that our team experiences. Later this week, when I was going through it, uh, there were over 180 comments about the brokenness that our team has experienced, as well as about our team rallying around them. And so I decided this morning that I'm going to read every single one of those to you guys because I want you to know (laughs) that we're broken. Here's what they wrote. My brokenness comes from struggles with self-esteem and body image. It led me to several eating disorders, depression, and feeling unworthy. Because of this, I ended up in a couple of very abusive relationships before I met my husband. My brokenness comes from being in a physically and verbally abusive relationship for two years. It led me to a lot of self-doubt and estranged me from my family and all my friends. My brokenness comes from the hurt I carry from being abandoned. My brokenness comes from the struggle to believe that who I am, the broken, messy, awkward human, and not the perfect Christian girl image that I felt the pressure to be for so many years, is enough and worthy to be loved by others. My brokenness comes from struggling with rejection by a close friend and previous rejection by close family members. It's been difficult to not feel like I have to earn people's approval, and it's a constant struggle to build up confidence in myself. My brokenness comes from suffering from internal brokenness and self-worth. Because of my traumatic past, I feel like I can't do anything right, and if there's a problem, that the problem must be me. And because of all this inner turmoil, I find it difficult to accept the love of others. My brokenness comes from being sexually abused by one family member and emotionally abused by a different family member while I was growing up. 
My brokenness comes from being raised in a broken home. And because of this, I have depression and anxiety. My brokenness comes from facing the reality of my failed marriage. Raising my daughter on my own is difficult, and I often feel like I have failed her and caused her brokenness because of the divorce. As a single parent, I have very little time and energy for her, and I feel awful about it, and I feel forgotten by so many, including God. My brokenness comes from being in an abusive marriage for seven and a half years. After six and a half, I just couldn't see any hope, and I was unfaithful to my husband. I confessed this to him and was forced to leave with the promise of forgiveness. It never came, and I spent five months living out of my car. My brokenness comes from going through the loss of my dad. It led to a lot of depression for me. I felt alone and saw no hope in life. I didn't know where God was, and I felt no one could help me. This led to a suicide attempt, which was one of the dumbest things that I could have done. My brokenness comes from always asking the question of, am I good enough? My brokenness comes from my anxiety getting the best of me. My brokenness comes from being sexually abused by my sister and physically abused by my father. My brokenness comes from my father dying and the loss of our first pregnancy. This was followed by our struggle with infertility. I felt abandoned by God through all these losses. My brokenness comes from my husband walking out on our marriage and filing for divorce without ever telling me why he left. After that, I thought I'd found the one, but after six years of being together, he recently told me that he does not want to get married or have kids. My brokenness comes from hitting rock bottom, drowning in depression, and struggling with PTSD. I turned to self-medicating in an attempt to mask the issues. My brokenness comes from a series of relationships that left me feeling like I'm not lovable. I still struggle with letting people get close to me. I constantly feel like I'm not good enough at work, as a mom, as a spouse, as a friend. Our brokenness comes from struggling with infertility. I can't lie that this is the hardest thing we've been going through for the last two and a half years. You never think it would be you, and it's really hard. My brokenness comes from the church where I used to live. They left my family out to dry and didn't even care. From that has come a ton of self-doubt for myself and a lack of trust in the church in general. My brokenness comes in several different forms. Losing our first son at 26 days old continues to bring hurt and pain. Not a day goes by that the pain and grief of our loss is not experienced. And that pain was met with a ton of anger and me pulling away from God. My brokenness comes from never feeling good enough or that I deserve anything. My life has been a revolving door of people that have either left me or I left them because I feared them leaving. I always resort to live in this survival mode where I have to have plans on plans for when eventually people realize that I'm just not good enough. I resorted to drugs for a while to hide from those thoughts after years of pushing them down only to realize that it wasn't effective and that I couldn't run from those thoughts. My brokenness comes from spending so many years being told that it isn't okay to be sad or angry or hurt. I've been betrayed by people that I thought loved me, which makes it so hard for me to get close to anyone without constantly wondering when they are going to realize that I'm really not that great and not worth their time. My brokenness comes from struggling for most of my life with body image slash self-worth, stemming from a childhood in which the way that I looked was, and specifically how much I weighed or ate was a continual topic of conversation that led to eating disorders, disorders in my teenage years and in my early 20s. 
My brokenness comes from the loss, from losing everything that held value in my life, my husband, my job, my health, my family, my friends, and my status. My brokenness comes from battling with so many things, acceptance, anger, worry, feeling like an adequate mom. The most broken I've ever been was when we lost our triplet girls. Two of our daughters died at around 12 weeks, and our third daughter was stillborn at almost 25 weeks. In fact, deciding to join Collective was especially hard because of this. Our old church was so great, our pastor was at the hospital with us when she was born and later performed her graveside service. We have so many friends that were there and took care of us during this time, and so leaving there meant leaving all the people that knew my daughter. I just don't want her to be forgotten. My brokenness comes from when I was younger and my family lost my brother. He was born premature and lived for five days. I never knew how it had affected me until my first relationship at college, which ended in our choice to have an abortion. To this day, I still wish that I could change the decision I made. My brokenness comes from my need for steadiness. I've always been a peacekeeper, and that has led me to stand up for myself, not stand up for myself and avoid conflict for the majority of my life. My steadiness was thrown completely out the window three years ago when we became pregnant with our first son. My pregnancy was tumultuous and scary. From week 14 on, we were faced with the news that would terrify any parent, but I was confident that God had an amazing plan for my little boy with Down syndrome and a defect in his esophagus. That confidence was shattered when I held him as he left this earth at 26 days old. Since then, I have struggled with grief and at times have let it consume me, and at other times have pushed it down because of the pressure I've put on myself to just be okay. We've been blessed with a second son who just turned one, but I struggle with the guilt of missing our first son too much or not enough. My brokenness comes from when I was seven years old and I watched my five-year-old brother get hit by a car. At his funeral, one of my aunts told me not to cry, to go away, and that my parents didn't need me to be a burden. And so I didn't cry for nearly half a decade. I held it all in and became the girl that didn't burden anyone, a pleaser and overachiever, a straight-A student, and whatever was perceived as a burden, I covered it up with lie after lie. Wounds so deep, I felt like I was suffocating with every breath. This led to eating disorders, promiscuity, self-hatred, pride, unhealthy relationships, pregnant at 18, alcohol problems, a failed marriage, adultery, and a painful divorce. To top it all off, at 33, I was diagnosed with terminal cancer and had three months to live. That was four years ago, by the way. My brokenness comes from being a people-pleasing perfectionist at an OCD level. I struggle with self-image physically and personality-wise. My PTSD from sexual assaults leads to daily challenges contributing to my marriage the way God designs, and I continue to struggle not to blame my kids having a rare medical disorder and my husband and I having premarital sex, even though I know that's not how God works. My brokenness comes from growing up in an emotionally, verbally, and physically abusive home. My brokenness comes from depression, anxiety, and cutting. I've made plans to end it all because of the feeling inadequate with everything. My father's death this year has destroyed me in ways that I didn't think were possible. Now, a lot of you, after hearing all those, are probably wondering why we did that. Why would our team share these intimate details about their brokenness? And here's why. Because our team wants you to know that you're not alone. 
that whatever brokenness you've gone through in the past, no matter what brokenness that you're currently experiencing, you don't have to go through it alone. You're not the only person. To be honest, this is one of the reasons why we encourage people to get plugged in here, because the reason why this exists and the reason why people can share that is because the community is real. Because these people have a team around them that says it's safe, that it's okay to be broken. Because this church and collective is full of people that are just like you. And you don't have to go through this alone. The other reason why our team wanted to do this is because they want you to know that God is for you. This doesn't mean it's easy. This doesn't mean the pain goes away. But what it does mean is that you can have hope. And you can trust that your brokenness doesn't define you. That God sees you and he has compassion and that Jesus can overcome the pain of your circumstance. A lot of times when you talk about following Jesus or or people making that decision, the narrative is, I decided to follow Jesus and everything is perfect. And the reality is that just isn't true. A lot of the people who have experienced brokenness on this team came after they decided to follow Jesus because the reality is brokenness still exists. And the reality is life won't be perfect. We will always have brokenness in our lives. But we can also have Jesus to help us get through it. If we let him. If we let Jesus be the savior that we need. And to be honest, some of you are in that place where you're experiencing that brokenness. And you're ready to figure out, okay, what does it mean to have Jesus have compassion? What does it mean to follow him? And I'd love to have that conversation with you. It won't fix everything. But I can promise you, you'll be surrounded by a group of people that say, hey, I've been through that. And you'll be surrounded by a group of people that love you. On your seat today, on your connection card, uh, there there were tiles taped to each one. And just like the tiles on that connection card, and I'd love for you guys to take that off, just like those tiles, we are broken. Our edges are rough. Pieces of us have been chipped away. Pieces are missing. That's what brokenness does. But through Jesus, our brokenness can be made new. Our brokenness can make something beautiful. Our brokenness can make this church a collective, a group of really messed up, broken people that come together as one to to pursue Jesus. And what I'd love for you to do is on your way out today, I'd love for you to take that tile, and there's going to be a board outside that actually has a mosaic that's already started on it with tiles from our team. And I'd love for you to place your piece on that board. This isn't like a secret way to get you committed to collective. You know, this isn't like a secret way to be like, all right, I'm a member now. It's none of that. It is just a recognition that we are broken, that we're not alone, and that when it's all put together, it can be made beautiful. God knows that life is hard. God knows that we experience brokenness. That's not what he wanted. That's not what he wants for us. But he hurts when we hurt. And he wants to overcome our pain and our circumstances.
God is for the rest of us. God is for the outcast. God is for the forgotten. God is for the unbeliever. God is for those who've been burnt by the church. And God is for the broken. God is for me. And God is for you. And God is for us. I want to finish this whole series in this sermon today reading something that Paul wrote. Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, was a broken, beat down, forgotten person. And this is what he wrote in Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is too condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is for us. He's for us in our brokenness. He's for us when we feel forgotten. He's for us when we feel like an outcast. And his heart breaks when ours breaks. But he wants more than anything else for us to follow him and be made new. Let's pray. God, thank you that... um, that the pain and the brokenness that we experience today doesn't have to be it. That although it's hard sometimes to think beyond the world we live in and beyond our life right now, God, that your intention for us is not to feel pain and not to be broken. And God, more than anything, you want us to spend eternity with you. But God, while we're here, we are just so thankful that we get to do this together. That we get to be a part of a community that recognizes brokenness, that we get to be surrounded by other people who have gone through similar things and we don't have to be alone. So God, I thank you for the people who are willing to share in order to create, this, create a safe place for people to be broken. And God, I pray for everybody here today that's experiencing brokenness on their own. God, that they realize that they don't have to do it alone. That they know that you're for them. And God, more than anything, that their heart breaks with you. God, thank you that you can take our brokenness and make something so much more beautiful. That you can take our brokenness and you can give us purpose. You can, you can help us be a church full of messed up people. But honestly, God, that lives can be so much better because of it and because you're at the center of it. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.